As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and each and every Friday myself and co-host George Ellick will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside Bet365's Steve Free. On this week's show, how incoming interim boss Ralph Rangnick can change Manchester United's fortunes, can Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain revive his World Cup hopes at Liverpool, and which performance was worse, Arsenal, Everton, United or Spurs' first half? Welcome guys, always good to see you. I'm going to start off by apologising to Steve. Mm. Not not bullying, but you know, I really shot down your regular on scoring last week, and I couldn't believe it when he took the ball home in the second half of that game against Leeds. Mystic Steve, psychic Steve. You were getting stuck into me last week. I noticed that. Are you were getting a? Re- I don't know whether it was the the Stevie G factor. You were just buzzing. Can't, at the, can't you know, before you were, I could. You, you had a strut about you. I could tell, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I quite liked it, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm just disappointed that you won. But no, seriously. I mean, I, I thought Regulon was going to take the the free kick himself, and he kind of got uh, he, he kind of got uh, jockeyed off it type of thing, and it was just like sulking on the left hand side, and then when the ball. <laughs> hit the woodwork and kind of came back or, or, or you know, I thought, wow. And, th- and there he was. I mean, he's always in the box now under under Conte as well. So um, I, I'm not sure how often we'll see him at double figures in the near future, but it was uh, it was good to get a winner because, boy, did I need one. Yeah, I thought, Steve, maybe we, we were going to see you because we're on a, on a Zoom call for the listeners here so we can see each other. And I thought maybe we'd see a, a Reggion shirt behind you because you've got all your shirts, but you, instead you've hung up another left back in Wayne Bridge behind you in, in front of the other one. So I was wondering if that was a an, an homage just to the left backs there, a, a way of celebrating the Reggion. It's it's probably more uh, I'm a celebrity uh, based really, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. Wayne Bridge did be I remember when I backed him. I think it was Chelsea away at Wickham one time in the cup. Uh, a fifty to one goal scorer, um, and I've, I've, I've I've always liked Wayne Bridge. And so uh, one pound of fifties, and he bought the shirt. Exactly. Well, yeah. I suppose then I could. Uh, 
I suppose Ainsworth will say he could have bought the team, you know, you know, back then. But uh, no, it's a, a rare winner. And I do like left-backs. And uh, I'm just waiting for Connor Townsend to score for the Albion. But I think we might be waiting a little bit longer than that. You've got the most eclectic selection of shirts I've ever seen. There's always someone random. He's usually a defender hanging up behind you. Before we move on to previewing the weekend's action, George, we just need to talk about Thiago's goal last night. Can you record I a better strike of a football? Love it. It's brilliant. I mean, the only thing that slightly concerns me is how it does just kiss the turf before rising again. The first time I saw it, I thought it had stayed kind of an inch off the ground the whole way through. But I mean, what a player. Unbelievable technique. And it's, you know, it's, it's satisfying because so often that the aesthetic, you know, the best aesthetic for goals is when they fly into the top corner. So when you've got a goal like that, where it goes into the side netting as low as possible without being on the ground, um, yeah, one of my favourite goals I've seen for a long time. A brilliant, brilliant strike and unique, which is so important. I think the best goals are the ones that you don't see very often. And I can't recall seeing a, a strike as, as sweet with that kind of trajectory for a long time. So, um, yeah, what a player. And doesn't score as many goals as um, as he maybe should do, given how well he can strike the ball. Yeah, he's all about technique, Thiago. Mm. Everything he does, he's got a great range of clubs in his locker as well with his passing just an unbelievable footballer and hopefully we'll see a bit more of him at Liverpool because it has been a bit of a disruptive year or so for him before we move on to previewing the weekend games just a reminder that as it's Black Friday week The Athletic has its best ever sign up offer just visit theathletic.com slash football pod before midnight on Sunday the 28th of November and you will gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad free podcast including this one for just a pound a month for the entire year so yeah head to the athletic.com slash football pod and you will be able to take advantage of that offer game one this weekend is arsenal versus newcastle lunchtime kickoff 12 30 and george arsenal humbled a little bit last last night i keep doing this on podcast and he said last night last week <laughs> at, at liverpool four nil probably you know not anything to really worry about for arsenal but perhaps signs of naivety from both the players and the manager yeah i don't know i, I think there might be Something to worry about. You know, I saw um, after we, you know, after the Athletic tweeted the link to the podcast last week with a quote of mine saying how there was nowhere to hide. A lot of Arsenal fans fairly pointed out that, you know, they're not expecting to go to Anfield uh, and win and that, you know, the performance is probably more important than the result. And I think despite going in at half time 1-0 down, a lot of Arsenal fans would have been pretty happy with what they saw. I, I think the second half was one of the most shambolic 45 minutes of football I've seen on every level and you have to give Liverpool some credit of course you do you know they've got amazing players and, and Salah and Jota and, and Mane were all at their best but it was made incredibly easy for them by both you know individual mistakes so Tavares obviously made one absolute clangor and then it, he did it again about five minutes later but was able to get back and, uh, and save it but it was it, it felt like I was watching a game of football between two sides one in Liverpool who were trying to score goals to get their points and then one in Arsenal who seemed to think that they were going to score their points by successfully playing out the back. It was bizarre. It felt like it was a a stubbornness from Arteta not to deviate away from the game plan after initially it going wrong. And it, it, it pestered me. It just showed a bit of tactical naivety. It seemed so clear that with the pace they had further up the pitch... Arsenal should have been looking to turn Liverpool whenever possible, been looking to get um, Lacazette, get Aubameyang, get um, Smith-Rowe as high as possible and get the ball up to them quickly. But instead, and, and you know, two or three times in the game, they did it successfully. You know, they played six or seven passes, broke the Liverpool press and were able to, to get into the final third. 
brilliant. I mean, it, and it was good to watch. It was it was attractive and, and it worked fairly well on those occasions. But they conceded so many goal-scoring opportunities by not doing that. It, it just, it really bugged me, um, I've got to say. So having been impressed by a lot of what Mikel Arteta has done this season, having been pretty impressed with the, with the way that they um, set out in the first half, I was just shocked to see the, the naivety at play there. You know, we know how, how Liverpool play. You know, knowing how Salah, how, how Jota, how Mane aren't going to give you a second um, respite. And to look to play out the back every time, look for the keeper to play short was, yeah, it, it wasn't the way to play it. And um, it's, you know, it, it's one game. I, I'm sure we're going to see Arsenal bounce back to the kind of form um, that we saw them uh, in against the weaker sides. Although I do think this game against Newcastle isn't going to be easy given what we saw from Newcastle last weekend. But there's an interesting, you know, the you look at the Premier League table and yes, Arsenal are in fifth. You know, they're not far off um, off third. They're five points off Liverpool in third. But you look at the goal difference so far this season and Arsenal are minus four, Liverpool are on, on plus 24. So there's a 28 goal gap, which is something Michael Cox pointed out on, on Twitter after the game. And of course, goal difference it isn't a way necessarily of, measure, of measuring a team standing, but it does give a good insight into the supremacy that teams are enjoying when they are picking up their points. And for Arsenal fans, you're not going to stay there. If you're hovering around the, the minus four to plus four area, kind of a, a neutral goal difference, then that fifth place is, is unsustainable. You've got to be able to show an element of superiority over the weaker sides whilst also staying in the game against stronger sides to show how good a team you are. So... The lack of goals from open play is also an issue. Um, you know, these are all wider issues rather than what we saw against Liverpool on Saturday. But I was, yeah, I was pretty taken aback by just how poor Arsenal were in that second half. And I'd be pretty loath to give Liverpool too much credit for that win, despite some moments of quality, I guess, in, in their box. Yeah, I don't really thought of that, to be fair. You know, Steve, every time Arsenal have faced the better teams, they have got blown away. And they haven't really been blowing away the, the teams that, that, that they have beat. So actually, I think that's a valid point from George. Yeah, I agree with him. Uh, we talked about it being a test and, and, and we saw, I mean, I think Saka had a couple of chances, didn't he, first half, where mm. small chances that he couldn't uh, take an advantage of. But I, I, I think George is you know, spot on there. I think it's, it's kind of back to the drawing board, really. And you know, I think the best they can hope for clearly is going to be a, a top four challenge. And it's, uh, what are they? They're 130 to do that. So despite their their decent recent run before that performance at Anfield they're still you know behind the likes of, uh, of West Ham and uh, and of course Manchester United as well so yeah back to the drawing board just a little bit I would say I've got to be careful because the man who does know about Arsenal Art De Rocha whose name I absolutely love saying has written about <laughs> the Gunners' annual Anfield thrashing feeling different so he feels a little bit more hopeful I guess Arsenal are where you know they'll probably be happy-ish with, with, with where they are league table wise despite what you're saying George but he's done an article in The Athletic that's worth going back and having a read of it, it definitely is and, and Art makes a good point about you know he's he's focusing on the game at nil-nil and that was definitely where Arsenal were impressive and they did play well and, and there were parts of that performance that were really good that Art kind of outlines um, totally right I'm doing the opposite I'm focusing on what happened at 1-0 and that was what concerned me um, so yeah I mean it, it, it's I don't want to get too bogged down in it because, as I said, I do think there have been times this season where Arsenal have impressed me. And I think in terms of personnel, um, especially, there have been some good performances. But that that second half just showed me that they are way off, way off those um, those top three. And, and maybe that's not a surprise. You know, we shouldn't be surprised by that. 
I mean, I've been critical of Arsenal in the past, but, you know, all around the team, Steve, you can see what they're trying to do with the young vibrancy that, that they have. The only place they haven't really got that now is up top, and that game kind of shows Aubameyang's limitations. Lacazette probably won't be offered a new contract, you know. The rest of the side is kind of being built, but they probably need a young, vibrant forward to, to fit into that side as well to, to really take them up a gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Lacazette is 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 thirty, Dan. I mean, I know Abamyang. He might have a field day this weekend because he normally fills his boots against Newcastle. He's he's scored in the in the last five games uh, against the Geordies. And while I was looking at Lacazette as well, I was surprised by his goals return. Actually, one hundred and one starts for Arsenal and fifty one goals, which which took Good me record. by surprise. Really, it's a, it's 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 a fantastic record and. Like you say, I think he's the parting of the ways there. He's 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 pretty inevitable, really. Um, a player that have been linked with Arsenal in the past is uh, Alexander Isaac, who's been on their radar, seemingly according to reports that that I've read, who scored 17 goals last season, uh, had a good Euros with with Sweden as well, also won the Copa del Rey. I think he's. I think he's had a few hamstring injuries. He's had one hamstring injury this season as well. So he's only scored around five goals for them. But I presume that Isaac is the is the type of player that uh, the Arsenal way you know go for young, hungry, and a very talented individual as well. Newcastle were a good watch on match of the day on Saturday, George. I'd describe it as chaos, although not necessarily in a bad way, because Eddie Howe got a tune out of Joel Linton, which hasn't happened since he arrived at St James's Park. But the same old problems. That defence, they just cannot defend. They score three goals and they still don't win the game. But Eddie Howe should be in the dugout at the weekend potentially and that might make a difference and give them a chance. Yeah, it wasn't a massive surprise to see the the first... I mean, I know he wasn't in the dugout with Jason Tindon in charge, but the first game of the Eddie Howe era being chaos, as you say, because his Bournemouth team at their best would score a lot of goals and concede a lot of goals. And at their worst, they concede more goals than they scored. He, he's a manager who I don't think is going to be the one to sort out their defensive frailties. But if he can get the likes of Joel Linton, of Alexa Maxima, of Wilson, you know, you look at the the, the personnel out on that pitch playing Alexa Maxima, Wilson, Joel Linton, Murphy, Shelby and Willock, you know, there, there isn't really a defensive-minded player there with, with Hayden coming out of the side in, in centre midfield. And, you know, they had, what was it, 23 uh, shots in the game, an XG of 2.2. Um, Joel Linton, as you say, you know, after Eddie Howe was one of the first things he did as Newcastle manager was immediately come out and praise Joel Linton in the press. You know, say that he's a player that he's looking forward to working with. Say that in training he'd look really sharp. Just massaging the ego of a guy who costs forty million pounds. You know, it's it's an important thing to do because he's he's an asset that isn't gonna um, you're not gonna recoup that money. So you may as well work with somebody who's obviously shown before how good a player he can be. And you saw. As a confident finish, the celebration afterwards. You know, he looked, he's often looked like such a forlorn figure at St. James's Park, but here we saw a guy that was pumped up and confident getting in the goals immediately. Uh, I mean, the caveat to this is that Brentford's defensive frailties have been very apparent in recent weeks due to the injuries to David Raya, due to the injuries to Ayer. Um, Ruslev had a b- bit of a shocker, but you know, I think they're going to have Zanka back for the game on the weekend, but we'll, we'll get to that um, in a bit. So they were coming up against a side at home who um, haven't been able to keep many clean sheets and that is going to suit them. But but certainly we saw a massive change of focus. The key, given the, um, you know, how, how toxic really the, the Steve Bruce era became due to the relationship with the fans, due to the football being played, the only way for Eddie Howard to get the fans on side immediately um, is by this kind of football, getting those exciting players attacking. And I think we're going to continue to see that. So... Yeah, a, a decent enough start. They'll be frustrated they couldn't get the three points. But I think they're going to be a side now who 
I mean, we haven't been able to say this for a long time, who are going to be a great watch on match today every Saturday because they're going to look to attack teams because that's the way that they, I mean, it's the only way that Eddie Howe really knows how to, to set up a team to win. Alan Shearer would be delighted to hear that. Steve, have you got any thoughts on Newcastle? Yeah, clearly, you know, like George has said there, just a more entertaining game. You know, Callum Wilson, 12 touches in the box, five shots in the box, at maximum six touches in the box, four shots. Shelby's been creating chances. Newcastle had 53% possession. I mean, that's rarely been seen at all. Um, mm. So the fans will be absolutely delighted about that. We, we know about the defensive issues. There might be a goalkeeper issue as well. Joe Willock, who scored an absolute shed loads of goals last season, eight goals from an XG of 3.6 as well. He'll be hoping that Eddie Howe sprinkles a bit of uh, his magic on him. And, and, you know, it'd be good to see Eddie Howe in the dugout. I, I didn't quite subscribe to the narrative of manager turns up at 6.30 in the morning and being lauded for it and working a 12-hour day. I must admit, I, you know, that passed <laughs> me by. I never understood that, nor about, about his amazing training regime when no drills are the same. Maybe Do we that know what his, um, his attitude to ketchup is? yet. <laughs> That's well, what we all want to know. Exactly. That's what everybody wants to know. But it, it's good to see him back and it's a great start. You know, I say a great start. It's a, Newcastle fans will be delighted. It's a lot more entertaining. Yeah, on that note, I, I think we're going to see um, we're going to see that Newcastle are going to be set up to attack um, game by game now. And I think this is a game where given Arsenal's uh, Defensive frailty is a bit harsh. I, I think they're there to be got at, given the the players that Newcastle have got, and I think that Eddie Howe will set out his team to attack. So for that reason, I'm backing over two and a half goals and both teams to score at eleven to ten. Um, I think that Newcastle will cause problems. Arsenal, obviously, the likely winners here, um, but it should be an entertaining game. Before we go into the next game, Brighton v Leeds, we spoke about that game at Anfield last week, Liverpool against Arsenal, the 4-0 win. And one of the standout performers was Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. We've been looking at England a little bit on this podcast. Chance he could play himself back into Gareth Southgate's plans, but Steve, you're not having him. <laughs> that's a that's a bit harsh. Um, that's literally what your text message said. Uh, yeah, but you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you don't see, yeah, that's a, that, next time well, I'll put off the record. You can't tell me anything, Steve. You can't tell me anything. <laughs> well, I've, re- I've realised that. Listen, no, he, he's sixteen to one. He's uh, to make the World Cup squad. Listen, it's good to see him back fit and starting game games on a regular basis now, influencing games as well. Tiago and Fabinho doing the dirty stuff and, and Ox pushing on, uh, which is what he's good at, isn't he? Uh, going forward with a ball at his feet. If he was just one of those players who I've never really thought, wow, he's a he's a brilliant player. I think it might be something to do with with, with Arsenal, Mister Producer. I've never I never really got Aaron Ramsey, never got Jack Wilshire, and I'm afraid the Ox is probably he's, he's just one of them. All very good players. Listen, as a Championship fan, you know, um, you know what do I know? But uh, I'm just <laughs> I, and I will say, I I will say, say what, what do you think of Emil Smith Rowe then? Yeah, he, he did okay on loan, didn't he? Yeah, no, well, I do, well, 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 I do like him, and I'm glad he didn't go to Villa. But um, I was, I was a huge fan of uh, of the Oxy's dad, as, um, as I say, who, who was one hell of a tricky winger. But in, in all seriousness, it is good to see him back, and hopefully, he can kick on. Tune in next week to find out that Steve doesn't write Thierry Henry or Dennis Bergkamp. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, 
everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Game two that we're going to look at is Brighton against Leeds, the Saturday tea time game. And George, first half, I was very, very impressed with Leeds against Tottenham. I thought they had some of their zest back, but in the second half, Tottenham, I wouldn't say they blew them away, but they outran them, which is very rare for a Leeds side to be out, outrun. But they're, they're still they're not quite there at the moment. I know they've got injuries, but we're kind of just waiting to see something from Leeds. Yeah, I mean... Some expert analysis for you here. It was it was a game very much of two halves, yes, where, yes, yes. Where, uh, where where Leeds were impressive in that first half. You know, I, I thought this was going to be the game where we saw a, a proper reaction from Spurs, and it was, but it just came after half time because Leeds just didn't give them a minute in that first half. Their pressing was bang on point. They weren't letting Spurs get anywhere near their box. They were creating chances, and and when they um, took the lead late on in the first half, it, it was the least that they deserved, and it felt like from there. It was going to be a long old way back for Spurs. You know, at halftime in that game, I think about pretty much every single football journalist in the country tweeted the uh, the amount of hours it had been since uh, Spurs last had a shot on target. And it, and it didn't take long after the break for them to rectify that and then get a goal uh, through through Emil, uh, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. Um, I mean, it's so difficult this because it's hard to... Um, Remember, we have to remember that Leeds's performance in that first half is a massive overachievement, given the players out on the pitch. You now you have Calvin Phillips, who is quite clearly the best player on the park in that first half, um, playing at centre back. You've got Adam Forshaw, who barely played any football for two years, playing in the holding midfield role. You've got Stuart Dallas, who's you know played every every single position for Leeds except for a, in, in, in goal, um, playing in centre midfield with him. You've got. Joe Gellhart making his first start in the Premier League. You know, this Marcelo Bielsa is not blessed with an array of, of, of elite footballers, but he consistently is able to get them formed into a team operating at a very high level. And, and I guess it's not a huge surprise, therefore, that they um, were just overpowered because, frankly, when Tottenham turned up in the way they did in the second half, when, you know, Antonio Conte obviously gave them a bit of a rocket and the way that they were able to produce, the way they were able to keep the ball and were able to basically either break Leeds' press or just tie them out effectively with their own energy. It, it now looks like Leeds are throwing away three points. Whereas in my view, it was, I'm I'm consistently impressed with the with the performance levels that Bielsa is able to get out of this side, especially with the injuries they've got at the moment. Yeah, well, Phil Hay has been writing in The Athletic about how it's become so, so clear now that Bielsa needs reinforcements mm. in January. Phil writes, one of the most remarkable parts of his Leeds tenure will be his success in making so much of a shallow pool of resources. Now, you've touched on him, George, but Joe Gellhart, I like the look of him. Really, really Ooh. bright, runs around, looks like he's got a bit of a bay, likes to get a shot off. Now, you'll have seen him in his EFL days. What's he mm. all about? 
I mean, he's. You won't be surprised to hear that the the one player who he's always been compared to from right back when he first came into the side at Wigan was, was Wayne Rooney, um, and and a young Wayne Rooney. You know, he's an absolute bundle of energy. He's someone who loves to get on the ball, drive at players, get his shots off, and that. You know, it, he, he's such an exciting talent. And even though you know he came into the side at Wigan at a time where. You know, Wigan had some serious financial issues. They had a very, very good crop of youngsters, but he, he was always the star. And, you know, I think Wigan would have hoped to have kept hold of him if, if it wasn't for, for the need to, to sell young players. But their, you know, their, their loss has been leaders' gain. I've been surprised how long it's taken him to, to break into the first team, but we know that Marcelo Bielsa likes to drill his players into playing a certain way. And, and Gellhart, after the game on the weekend, um, said to the, you know, he spoke to the Leeds website and said, you know, it's taken a year for me to basically get to grips with the physical nature of, of what the manager wants to do, um, which is an interesting bit of insight to show that it's, it's not a myth. You know, they do have to go through this period of, of transition into the way that he wants to play football. But you know, he proved to himself, I think, on Saturday to show that he is a Premier League quality. And I think Leeds fans are incredibly excited as to what he might be. You know, I think he is a proper talent you know we talk about there's so many English talents who are rightly hyped at the moment playing for big clubs playing for you know for the top four clubs not that Leeds aren't a big club I should take that back playing for the for the elite clubs at the moment in the in the Premier League but Gellhart is right up there and he's someone who you know th- this definitely won't be you know I've talked up a lot of players on this podcast in the last six months or so Harvey Elliott Curtis Jones all these guys but Gellhart is is, is in that bunch he is going to be an absolute star Let's talk a little bit about Brighton now, Steve. Now, I saw them in the flesh last week at Villa Park, and I've got to be honest. Poor game, wasn't it? They bored me to tears. They just tried to to kill the game. Side to side. For passing sake, never going anywhere. The only one that really excited me in their team was Tori Lampter. Yeah. The the rest of it was just a a little bit boring. The way everyone raves about Potter, I don't think I see it. They haven't won since September. You know, that, I think he was a big, big flavour of the month at the time when everyone was raving about him. I think there's a bit more. I think there's a bit more to that. I think. I, I think he. <laughs> I think. I think he will be the real deal uh, in time. But. But yeah, I do. But I think it's very easy these days. There's no half. This half measures are there. You're either great or you're rubbish. Basically, at the, at, at the end of the day, and you just got to look at the big picture from what he's done. I think it's very exciting. Um, to see what he's done, maybe has been overhyped just a little bit in, in in some quarters. But I would say, you know, let's let's not write him off yet after a performance at Villa Park. My my Villa pal mate who went to the game just said exactly the same. It was a terrible game, just decided by a bit of class towards the end of the game by by Villa. And you know, their winning start has been replaced by draws and a heavy defeat to Manchester United. I think they were probably getting results they didn't deserve at the start of the season. And we're all kind of saying, well, they were due a bit of luck from last season because they're XG and they're XG against, etc. Um, they did have some nice fixtures as well at the start of the season. Uh, plenty of possession that, that, that they're getting. But the talks about him as a future England manager, I, I look around at the, at the current crop and I just... He, he just ticks the box away. I know Gareth Southgate has signed his contract until the end of 2024, but and a lot can change it. You know, in three years, uh, I was surprised that he did sign that contract. By the way, I have to say, but you know, you're looking around at the likes of English. I think they will go English down the line, but the likes of Dyche, Howe, Gerard, Lampard, those type of people, and you look at it thinking, well, he'd be my all in all. He would be my number one choice. It'll be, it'll be Ryan Lowe um, because in three years' time, <laughs> yeah. Graham Potter will be managing Spurs. So, um, but I, I worked with um, with Wayne Routledge on name, the name on drop the, alert. Yeah, name yeah, drop I alert. Know, I know, 
I worked with Wayne Routledge on the on the EFR highlight show um, on Quest. Nice plug for on uh, on Wednesday night, and I asked him about about Potter because obviously he played under him at, at Swansea. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying as well. And he he said he said I think he's I think he's headed he's headed basically to the top. And the interesting thing he said, you know, he's you know, Wayne Routledge has played under a lot of managers. You know, he's played under Brendan Rogers, Steve Cooper, you know, loads of guys throughout his career, Premier League level managers. And he said he's he's got this ability to. He sees the game well. He'll, he'll basically make changes. You know, he's such a process-driven guy, but he says he thinks a lot and he makes changes based on, on what he can see in his gut in a way that not many managers can do and it's normally successful. And he said that is kind of what, in his mind, sets him apart from others. Um, you know, and, and Graham Potter oversaw one season at Swansea, they finished 12th. It wasn't like he led them to massive glory. Um, but having, you know, having been a massive fan of him myself, speaking to someone who played under him for a season, who clearly saw something quite special in him, who's worked under a lot of very good managers, um, was... Interesting. So Dan, I'm afraid you've gone in here to to, to slam Potter, and you've had two lads. Oh, no, and, and it's great. Me. Also, but, it, but but it's also good. I mean, the other thing on the England um, story as well is it's great to see him just talking positively about the England job. You know, you've got a guy here who's being linked to every big job under the sun when they come up in the Premier League. Every time the City job, the Liverpool job, the Spurs job, the Arsenal job, the United job, the job whatever it is, he's going to be in that list of ten or fifteen candidates. Now he's linked to it. So to see someone who's got that coming up in their in their immediate future if they carry on the way they're going talking about the England job as being the pinnacle is is good news for English football and it shows you know for all the, his detractors as a tactician um, what Gareth Southgate's job at England and what he's shown he can do uh, means now for, for that post going forward which is which has got to be a, a big thing for for the future national team I mean, we can all do a name drop because I won't name him, but I was speaking to an EFL football. That's not a name drop then. The, no, no, no. That's true. Yeah, I don't think I someone name drop is. But I, I was speaking to an EFL footballer and he said when the Villa, when the Villa job came up, he said Villa should go in for Potter. He's basically mm. saying that everyone in the game just raves about him. No one has a bad word to say about him. Anyone that's worked under him absolutely raves about him. So I'm not saying he's not a good manager. I just I just think he's overhyped. That, that, he seems like a opinion. lovely bloke as well. If I could make yeah. a list of, of 20 managers who well, I'd like to go for a pint with Midlands, in the Premier League, the it'd be We're all of S- Solihull, isn't he? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Him and Jack, both. Wow. Yeah, Gosh, from, I should move to Solihull, I think. No, you can't, yeah. you can't afford it, George. I wouldn't bother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's worth saying that Andy Naylor did pen a brilliant long read on Potter's growing reputation. So that is in the week where Gareth Southgate has extended his day as England coach. So it's worth going back and having a look at that article. Steve, how do you see this one playing out? Is it going to be Cucurella or Verpo for the first goal this week? <laughs> Who's it going to be? No, I'm going to go for the cards market, Dan. I, I know Brighton and Leeds are... I think they're both in the top four for cards received so far this season. And Craig Pawson is actually in charge, who's dished out 28 already. He did uh, send off Pas- uh, Pascal Stroik early in the season. But I just think our line of over under 4.5 is just a little bit high. And I'm going to go for under four and a half cards in this game. Lovely stuff. Let's look at Brentford and Everton, the 2pm game on Sunday then. Um, Brentford... Relegation price, not quite right, George. It's a consequence of their incredible start to the season, but because they are, you know, they've had injuries, but they do look like they're heading in the wrong direction. Yeah, this is this is interesting um, because I, it was pointed out to me by a, a Brentford supporting friend of mine who said, you know, you can't work out why Brentford are four to one for the drop and, and Watford are ten to eleven. And initially, I kind of wrote it off as being um, reactive to a couple of bad results from Brentford's and you know Watford obviously beating beating Manchester United but you look at the table that they're on they're on level points 
in you know we've clearly seen a, a reaction from um from from Watford Anieri and you know we'll probably talk about it in a second but I, I think even though United were, were incredibly poor against Watford Ranieri and Watford serve incre- like massive credit for the way they came out in that game and, and stopped United from playing and Brentford have got defensive issues you know uh, David Raya's injury is is a massive blow to them um, you know I, I is, is in the same boat they've got injuries running through the team but at the same time if, if I had to if I had to back one of those two prices it, it would quite clearly be BB so I feel like maybe it's it's a almost an out-of-date price that hasn't reacted enough to what is not just a, a a poor couple of performances, but a significant performance level drop really since that that massive win at West Ham. Yeah, Everton had, heading in the wrong direction as well, Steve. You know, all right start under Benitez, but injuries are absolutely killing them. And now they've got injuries and suspensions stacking, stacking up, I think, even more players missing this weekend. It's, it's a tough time for the Toffees. It is, yeah. It's a, it's a big blow. I think there's a probably a split of fans who just aren't having Rafa anyway. Um, I think it's the longest uh, winless run in the Premier League since uh, since 2005. So that's slightly concerning. I think you have a look at their bench against Manchester City. It's very very threadbare indeed as well. The spine of the team's gone. You know, Mina. He, he, I think he's close now. Uh, Decore, obviously, the Calvert Lewin. I think Richarlson suspended at the weekend. So who who comes in? Who comes in for this game? Rondon, we've seen he's really struggled to hit the ground running. Eight, eight shots, one shot on target. A guy that George will know from last season, Ellie Sims, has been, had a good spell at Blackpool. I think some of maybe calling for him as well to maybe to step up. I don't think he's started a Premier League game or even featured for Everton in the Premier League. So that may be a little bit of a, a big ask as well. It's not, uh, it's not really Rafa's, Rafa's style as no, of course, uh, Ivan no. Tony would, would attest to. So Yeah, yeah. And, and, and two points from 18. And the, the fixtures they've got coming up, started with next week, Dan, Liverpool as well. I mean, wow, they'll enjoy sticking it, sticking it to their rivals, won't they, after last season. Arsenal, Palace, Chelsea. Those are some form horses there. And all of a sudden they've gone... You know they're four to six now to finish in the bottom half, and they probably won't be relegated. But they, you know they're sixteen to one to be relegated as well, which I know is a little bit extreme, but massive concerns for Everton. But as we've talked about before, Brentford are giving teams a chance at the moment, so maybe it could be them. And if they could get an early goal, because Brentford seem to be conceding so many early goals. It was the fourteenth minute against Leicester, the fourth minute against Burnley, the sixth minute against Norwich, and the tenth minute against Newcastle. So with their defensive issues, who knows? But it's uh, it looks a tough game to call this one. Yeah, they ended up with Andros Townsend in central midfield against Manchester City, didn't they, George? Yeah, um, you know the the injury issues there. I mean, it's it's two basically a game like that is going to come down to two things: which manager sets their team up and wins a tactical battle, and then which individual players provide the quality to win a game. Both sides short of confidence. Both sides short of players. Both teams are going to have um, players playing out of position as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty hard one to call. I'm going to ask you to what are your predictions? <laughs> well, I mean. Pure, purely price um, based. This, you know, you look at the odds for this game. You have got Brentford at five to four, the draw at eleven to five, Everton twelve to five. Draw no bet. You're getting um, uh, Everton at eleven to eight. I think that's the way I play this. You know, I'm not massively keen on Everton to win this game. I think there's every chance that the Brentford could blow them away. But with the defensive issues, the defensive frailties, um, I think I'd probably still have Rafa over over Thomas Frank in a tactical battle. Even though I'm, I'm a big fan of Frank as well. I think five to four about a Brentford side who is so out of shorts is, is incredibly short. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Now, game four has suddenly got a little bit more interesting. It's Chelsea v Manchester United Sunday at 4.30. And yesterday afternoon, the Athletic broke the news that Ralph Ragnick had agreed a deal to take up the job in the interim to the end of the season at Manchester United. Now, George... Eventually, Manchester United feel like they've done something sensible. This does feel like a good appointment. Yeah, it just seems incredibly sensible, which isn't necessarily the word we've we've used to describe Manchester United and their decision-making in the last couple of years. Um, Ranjik is a a very, very well-respected coach. You know, he's somebody who's been involved um, at at a high level within, um, you know, the Red Bull Leipzig system. And that is one of the best-run clubs and kind of football um, you know what would you even call it conglomerates uh, you know the, the way that they run their club the way that they are able to um, the recruitment model the way that they look to play their football he's somebody who isn't just a, a training ground manager but somebody who understands how to manage football teams uh, from the boardroom to the training ground and everything in between so you know he, he's he's currently occupying or, or was occupying the post of uh, head of sports at Lokomotiv Moscow which shows um that level of understanding and I, and I personally hope you know I'm sure he's going to come in and improve things on the pitch you know you look at what he's done what he's achieved in the game you know his Hoffenheim team especially um a, a decade and more ago you know he he will come in he's achieved more than than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer by miles in terms of what they've achieved on the football pitch but I, I personally hope that he has a role to play in the future strategy of the, of the football club because he's somebody who has been able to um to strategize success as a long-term project and that is what Manchester United need so he's going to come into the club he's going to get to know it over the next six or seven months if the deal goes through and there won't be anyone better placed than him to, to look forward as to who they need to bring in to be the long-term successor so it, it seemed pretty obvious before Oli was sacked um, when he you know it was reported in the press that he basically put his hand up to say that he wanted the role and it seemed to make sense and um, if they've managed to get this deal over the line, then I think that United fans can look forward to a, a better short-term and long-term future. Steve, your thoughts? Fantastic. I'd be delighted if I'm a if I'm a Manchester United fan. Of course, Albion were ahead of the curve back in 2012. I think. And, <laughs> and, Words you don't hear very often. Yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, exactly that. And in, and in 2014 as well, where where he was where uh, he was massively linked with it and he ended up turning it down i think after after roy hodson went to the, went to england he was he was the number one choice and ended up didn't taking it and after when steve clark left as well he was also heavily linked and and strong favorite to take the job but then we give the job to pepe mel so i think Legend. we'll move on shall we yeah they're the thoughts of steve and george let's hear now from the athletics rafa honigstein on what ralph can offer manchester united well, I think you saw in the last few games that this United team were, were screaming out, maybe silently, but nevertheless yearning um, for some structure, for some order, for some idea that is bigger than 
give it to particular people, they will do something with the ball up front. And Rangnick is, of course, the epitome of organized collective football. He is one of the big innovators in Germany who has inspired countless coaches, including Thomas Tuchel and Jürgen Klopp, who he didn't work with, but was playing similar football at the same time in the German second division when very few people were and they inspired each other. So top coaching, a strong ethos on having a, a clear idea of what everyone is supposed to do. There'll be some pressing, I'm sure, how much there will be, um, I think, is yet to be determined because you need to deal with Cristiano Ronaldo. But I think overall, it wouldn't surprise me if we see an immediate uplift, as we saw when Thomas Tuchel took over from Frank Lampard, because even in the shortness of time, I think there is a real benefit in just telling the team exactly this is what I want, rather than trusting them to somehow find solution, which I think in 2021 isn't really a viable alternative anymore. It should be very exciting. I think it should be a football that's based on, on collective movement, on being very direct, very vertical, trying to hunt the ball in packs, living on transition, and really just a lot more energy and a lot more coherent energy. I think that's the main thing. No individual pressing anymore. I think it'll be, it'll be a very good appointment. Let's focus a bit more on the game now. As I say, suddenly a little bit more interesting, Steve, and it became a bit more interesting for Jadon Sancho as well, finally off the mark in Manchester United colours. This feels like a good appointment for him, actually. It might be a bit of lazy association by me, but, it, you know, he feels like the kind of manager that Sancho will thrive under. I would say so, yeah. Uh, clearly a fresh start for him, and we saw him midweek, didn't we, against uh, Villarreal. It was... It was his best performance of the season. Admittedly, there's not a, not a lot to go on with the type of you know preseason that he's had and the injuries hasn't been hundred percent and it just hasn't kicked on when he when he's featured after United pursued him for so long. You know the fifty the fifty goals, the sixty four assists in Germany, and he's yet to score in the Premier League. He's got no assists in the Premier League. He's only got one had one shot on target, which must be so frustrating for him having come for for seven to three million or whatever it was and. I've just updated his goals market as well for the Premier League guys. So as usual, I'm going to be asking you two, how many do you think Jaden Sancho will score in the Premier League this season? Six. Eight. Okay, Dan, you're two to one. Georgie, five to two. So you've... I mean, it's, yeah, so ten or more is nine to two. Five or fewer, nine to four. Yeah, Van der Beek on the pitch as well, George, starting a game. Absolutely incredible scenes. Again, feels like someone that might benefit from this input appointment. Yeah, maybe. I, I almost feel a bit sorry Sorry for Donny. Um, I mean, I know everyone does, but I, in this sense, I feel sorry for him where I feel like the expectations have risen so much. You know, we often see in sport when someone's absent and the team doesn't do so well, their their ability is often massively um, hyped up where, you know, I hope that, that Donny van der Beek isn't going to be held to a standard, which is the saviour of Manchester United. You know, he, he started the game in the Champions League. He, he came off fairly early in the second half. He, he didn't massively impact it. Um, I could only watch the first half and I was pretty surprised with how defensively United set up for the first 20 minutes. But, you know, it, it worked. Um, you know, they, they got the win in the second half. They, they clearly improved a lot. So, you know, for, for van der Beek now, hopefully he's going to be playing in an environment where he's valued and he gets enough game time to, to get him into um, a process of improvement whilst also not being held up as the poster boy and, and the saviour of Manchester United. That, that, you know, let's not get 
carried away by him scoring in the first game after the the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer era because he's had a really tough time and I'm sure you know mentally and physically it's taken its toll on him to not play much football and, and to go from being one of the elite players and not even young players one of the elite players in Europe what he was doing at, at Borussia Dortmund made him that um, to suddenly being a bench warmer at a, at a club who are who are struggling so fingers crossed in the next couple of weeks months um, we're going to see both Sancho and Van der Beek rise towards the top. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see the selection in midfield against Chelsea today because last week Tom Cleverley did something that he never really did in the Manchester United shirt and absolutely ran a Manchester United game in the midfield, didn't he? Un- unbelievable. He did, yeah. But I think I know Fred's had his detractors, hasn't he? Um, from a lot of uh, a lot of people, really. But I thought he, by all accounts, he played very well in midweek as well and was more of the type of player that we've uh, that we've seen previously as well. Likewise, but. Um, McTominay, albeit, you know, uh, uh, against Villarreal. So again, team selections, new manager. Let's see. Well, I, I suppose, you know, Carrick will probably be, still be taking over. I I would have thought, you know, the game as well. So it's it's huge against the, the quality that's in Chelsea's midfield as well. It'll be one battle on one battle they'll need to get on top because they're going to know that the, uh, the United midfielder is going to be bang under pressure. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea... Unbelievable in midweek against Juventus. Just a comprehensive win. Made Juventus look so ordinary, George. Such a good performance, wasn't it? Such a good performance. Um, you know, the way that Reese James is playing at the moment, I know we spoke about him last week, but, you know, he is he is operating at an incredibly high level as, you know, he's playing at right back. But like Trent, you know, he is at the moment operating as, as one of the most creative um and he's scoring goals and you know we talk about technique of striking a football there aren't many better than him um and it's amazing to see how many Chelsea academy grads are the ones getting in the action you know Trevor Chalobah no one expected him to be getting the minutes he is at the moment opening the scoring against Juventus in the Champions League Callum Hudson-Odoi who's who's often struggled for form getting involved as well so it felt like Chelsea went through a, a period where their performances dipped a bit but they were still getting the the, the results. I, I think they're now backward, back on an upwards curve and it's going to take, you know, we should say Juventus, this iteration of Juventus uh, are not the Juventus of old. You know, they aren't as good as, as they once were. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I think Chelsea are going to make this very, very difficult for, for United and that's reflected in the price. I mean, I'd, I'd love to know if, if, if Chelsea have ever been shorter than, than the price they are uh, at home to, uh, to, uh, to Manchester United. They were slightly, I mean, Manchester United were slightly bigger than two to one to win last season and then then they're what five to one to win that clearly we might see a bit of interest in United at those prices on the on the back of the appointment so but but it's going to take a lot to shift it quite uh, substantially but George is right if this is it has been seen as 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 Chelsea overwhelming favourites in this game but I I, you know that appointment has just taken me back just a little bit so I'm just really fascinated to see how, how everything's set up and I must admit, I might be tempted just to lay a little bit of Chelsea at the, you know at the current prices at, at so short odds on that it currently is. Yeah, I can see Steve. He's doing a podcast, but he's working away for Bet365 in the background whilst it's, whilst it's going on, reacting <laughs> to this news. And George, the amazing thing about Chelsea is whoever plays in defence turns into an absolute goal machine. It doesn't matter who's playing centre-back, <laughs> who's playing wing-back, they suddenly can just finish. Yeah, I mean, it is in, it's incredible and it's a, it's a massive especially given they don't have, when Romelu Lukaku isn't fit, they don't have a striker. It's important to get goals um, throughout the side. But it, I mean, it's a sign, I think, of how good a 
how good a manager Thomas Tuchel is really that he's able to, to get these guys um, performing the way they are I mean the one sour note for Chelsea fans is, is Ben Chilwell's injury um, there seems to be some major concern that it might be an ACL uh, if that's the case he's going to be out for the season which is a big blow because you know Marcus Alonso started the season as first choice left back but Chilwell worked incredibly hard uh, to get that place back and he's, and he's been very very good this season so fingers crossed there's positive news on that front I think otherwise Chelsea are probably going to be in the market for a left back in, in in January because I don't think they're going to want to go into this with just I mean I, we know that Azpilicueta can play there he has done in the past but I think they'll be looking to probably upgrade on Alonso and bring someone in who could who could vie with um, with Chilwell in, in the long term future for that left back role but you know Chelsea are a they're a well oiled winning machine aren't they and they, they look incredibly impressive at the moment if if uh, if they can come away with, from Stamford Bridge with, with a point that would be impressive. Anything more would be would be a bit of a miracle at, the sta- at this stage. I think you could see Hudson Odoi maybe spend some time at left wing back when they get more attacking players fit. He's been very very good. You, know, you could see him move across and play left left wing back, Steve. Yeah, he's 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 been fantastic this season, hasn't he? He's coming to the side. It looked very settled. Looked at home, scoring goals, assisting goals as well. Yeah, I mean George mentioned Alonso. You know, in that team as well, he, he was brilliant at the start. I bet he was in your fantasy team down at the start of the season, wasn't he, Alonso? No, 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 no I've not had no. any. I've not had any of the good fullbacks in my fantasy team all season. The ones that are scoring all the points. The strength in depth there that they've got is is fantastic for Chelsea, and of course, we've talked about a, f- a few of the younger English players. Um, of course, there's a certain old fellow at the back who's uh, who's been absolutely fantastic for them ever since he's joined Stamford Bridge. Yeah, his clearance on on Wednesday night, the Athletic senior writer Dom Fifield has argued that despite Chelsea's young players still in the headlines is in fact the veteran Thiago Silva who is setting the standards I mean it must be incredible for those young players to work alongside such a, such a legend of the game Thiago Silva so good at what he does Steve how's this one going to play out then on Sunday uh, well both of these games finished 0-0 last season I think United would in their current state would probably snap your hand off for a result like that so it's a bit more difficult now to try and work out what happens, but I can still see it being a fairly tight game. So with that in mind, I'm going to go for under two and a half goals, which is currently around the even money mark. And Steve's the man whose tips you should follow <laughs> after the last week. Oi. I think that, sorry, and you, George. Yeah, very good as well, George. He's really good, really good at what he does as well, George. Make sure you check him out. Just enough time for me to remind you that for some reason, if you're still not subscribed to The Athletic, then you're in luck as there is a Black Friday deal going on at the moment. But careful because it only runs until Sunday the 28th of November at midnight. Visit theathletic.com slash football pod to take advantage of that offer. That's theathletic.com slash football pod. My thanks goes to both Steve and George and, of course, all of you for listening as well. Please hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a show. And Mark Chapman, David Ornstein and company will be back on this feed on Monday. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Enjoy all the football and have a great weekend. The Athletic.